Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of On The Bat Bar. This is episode 12 with Christopher Menning and we have the wonderful Tim Everington Judge on the show today. Tim's done some pretty big things in the industry from working as a global ambassador for Diageo to running Healthy Hospo, an organisation which helps support individuals in the hospitality industry. Tim went through quite a serious thing that happened in the Athens Bar Show, which we'll talk about today, and it's what set him up and talking about it that pushed him to help others. So it's a really wonderful organization. We're actually now supporting it through our Patreon page too. So on our third tier for Patreon, if you sign up, you'll also be donating $5 a month to Healthy Hospo. Uh, it's a great cause, and I think a lot of people should get behind it. Now, other than this amazing support for the industry Tim does, he has also launched a new spirits company called Avalen, producing a fantastic Calvados for the market. Their aim is to be the most ethical distillery in the world, and we talk about how they are achieving this and the steps for the future. So I hope you enjoy the show. Um, I thought it was a really good one. Uh, it's really cool to hear about Tim and his life and, and journey, which is, it definitely is. If you do love the show, give us a like, subscribe, share, um, listen to the end of the show. We'll let you know who's coming on next. So yeah, without further ado, let's roll the intro. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today on the back bar. How are you today in Amsterdam? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's pretty chilly and wet outside, so I'm staying nice and warm indoors. <laughs> okay, sounds about right. Well, uh, as with everyone that joins the show, if you'd like to give us your rundown of who you are, where you come from, uh, so we get a better understanding of who Tim is. Yeah, sure. So I'm Tim Etherington Judge. I am the founder of Healthy Hospo and the co-founder of Avalon Spirits. I've been in the industry for longer than I care to admit. And yeah, just trying to help as many people as I can and trying to save the world with my brands. That's great. Thank you. And obviously Healthy Hospo, there's quite a big story behind that. Um, I think what you're doing for the industry is fantastic. Could you tell us a bit about how that originated um how you really started and for what reason yeah sure so i've been in hospitality for a long time and had all sorts of roles from working in you know working in the kitchen as a kp to a chef to flipping burgers to working in coffee shops um bar backing bartending um and eventually found myself um the role of global brand ambassador um for a fairly big american whiskey brand so I had one of those roles that a lot of people in the industry aspire to, you know, traveling the world, staying in five-star hotels, drinking a lot of whiskey, seeing a lot of cities, um, drinking in the world's best bars. And it sounds 
um, great on the outside. And there are lots of really positive aspects to those roles, but the travel, the the kind of the, the semi-permanent jet lag and the terrible sleep, the only ever eating in restaurants or room service, the kind of the lack of exercise um, from traveling all the time, and also the loneliness from constantly being um, on your own or having to make kind of little micro friendships with people you might see once a year or, or less. That combined with my own personal mental health struggles. So I was first diagnosed with um, severe depression at the age of 16. Um, so it's something I've battled with my whole life. And the two of those together kind of combined in 2016 after a very extensive and intensive period of travel. It kind of all manifested at the Athens Bar Show in 2016, um, where I had a, a massive breakdown and tried to commit suicide in my hotel room. And it was coming through that and deciding to speak very publicly about my struggles um, with both my mental health and also with with the industry, kind of as a healing process for myself i guess to i thought that if i if i wrote something on facebook and i would get lots of nice messages of love and support from people and that would really help and really kind of make me feel better and, and get me out of the very dark place i was in um and it and that that did help for sure but what really changed my life and i guess was the the seed uh, for healthy hospo was the hundreds of messages that I private messages that I received from people telling me their stories of struggle and their stories of of mental health and physical health problems working in the industry um, from friends from strangers from from peers um, and very well respected people in the industry and it just made me question why is no one really talking about this and doing anything to kind of put the industry on a, on a, in a better place when it comes to the health and wellness of people that work in it. Um, so that was the real genesis um, of that. It came from a very dark place. Um, but if I hadn't have kind of reached that low, I don't think that that I would have been motivated to create a healthy hospital. Okay. Has the conversation got better around mental health in the industry now? 100%. Yeah. Um, so I took seven months off off work on full basic leave, and that was the kind of the time that allowed me to to figure out what I was going to do. And that was about two and a half, three years, yeah, two and a half years ago. So we launched in January uh, twenty eighteen. So we're just over two years old now, and since we launched, the number of other groups that have come out the number of, of people who are talking about mental health now um, brands who are running activations looking at physical health and mental health um, from martini to clismo project to the raker runners um, to diageo running diageo bar academy sessions on on well-being um, the conversation is changing very quickly and it's really exciting really exciting to see how many people are kind of starting to champion physical and mental health within the industry. That's great. I mean, I think it's very important. I, I can't talk from experience of uh, battling uh, anxiety, alcoholism, and I think it's something that's quite prevalent in the industry. I mean, it's better these days maybe, but 
it's it's looking after your wellness which sometimes gets left behind in in such a hard hardscape what what type of things can people do to sort of look after their wellness more you know are there signs that people should be looking for too in their you know the people they work with so there's a few things so we have a, a kind of uh, a four pillar model of um, a kind of a program that we call let's talk about sex um, and sex is sleep eat connect and sweat so there are four core pillars to to good health um, both physical and mental so you know, prioritize sleep and make sure that you are getting great sleep at home whenever possible it's difficult in the industry because we work such kind of unusual and inconsistent hours um, but when it's when you are getting your sleep, make sure it's the the highest quality possible, um, and try to make sure you're getting enough. Um, nutrition, is, you know, what, how you eat is is hugely important. So cooking at home, just trying to improve your the food that you put into your body because it's the fuel that goes into your body as much as possible. You know, so like little things of, of trying to eat a salad. Maybe you want you know, a few times a week, making sure that you have water the first thing when you wake up in the mornings, um, trying to kind of cut down on the junk food and the snacking. Um, social connection is a big one, particularly for men. Um, in the Western world, suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45. Um, so trying to spend as much time with friends as possible, making sure those, those connections are as strong as possible. Um, men have much smaller social circles than women um, and are, are kind of a lot more uh, vulnerable to, to loneliness. Um, you know, so checking up on your friends um, if, you, if you're feeling in a good place, but just making sure that you, you spend a lot of time kind of checking in with friends, looking after each other um, and also reducing that kind of that peer pressure, I think is a big one, that peer pressure to be the most hungover to, to do the most trying to kind of have the craziest stories um, to stop that peer pressure of, of how, always having to drink and you know it's okay if you don't want to drink it's okay to go home early it's okay to look after yourself um, and to have good health um, so those are big ones and then also trying we, we're trying to to show outlets um, and business owners that healthy staff and happy stuff are actually really profitable for your business. Absolutely. And then that suffers with chronically high staff turnover rates. Um, if you can make your staff feel healthy, feel happy, feel wanted in your business, um, you are going to have a much more profitable business. Yeah, I agree. I mean, hospitality has always been, it's more of a lifestyle job than anything. And uh, you're completely right. The t staff turnover across the board is incredibly high. And, yeah, it's yeah. for these reasons a lot of the time. If if people want to get involved with Healthy Hospital and they want to find out more information, um, what sort of things are open to them? Uh, so we've got a website. So it's healthyhospital.com, which is full of articles and information and, and practical tips on what people can do. So that's a really good resource. We run seminars and workshops um, around the world and, and events and activities to kind of train people on better health, we run like sports events um, all over the US, all over U the UK and Europe, New Zealand, Australia. Um, so look out for any of the events that we're doing. Get in touch. You can get in touch with us through the website. We always want to hear from new people who want to get involved in championing health and wellness in the industry. 
or if they have problems, we're not a support agency. We don't provide kind of therapy or or um, end level support, but we can point people in the right directions where that's where they can find that support. Good. Okay. Brilliant. So yeah. If you, if you have anything, any questions you want to look after your health, um, yeah, please get in touch. And uh, I know running's always had a big passion for you, and you feel like running. It's something people should do more of um particularly you did a challenge uh quite recently the 42 yeah. marathons 42 days my god that's a that's a bit epic so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i have a kind of a love-hate relationship with running. like when i was at school i remember being forced to run in the uh, the school cross-country team <laughs> yep but always for some reason cross-country races were held in the winter Mm-hmm. So you'd kind of go out in a little singlet and very short shorts and have to run around muddy fields in the snow, in freezing weather. And I was just like, why would, why would people make children do this? It was, it was <laughs> a torture. Um, and cycling is my first love. But I find running is, um, for me, is very good kind of, for me, it's as good mentally as it is physically. It allows me to kind of go out, give my brain time to think. And I think in the world where we are so busy doing stuff, that having time just to think is extremely valuable. And so running is that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not naturally very good at it. Cycling is my first love. Um, so when I, I set out last year to to do that challenge, it had to be something that really was kind of outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was running. And also people understand running challenges a lot more than they do cycling challenges. Um, so people understand what it's like to run a marathon and whether they've run it or not. But there is no real equivalent on the bicycle. You know, If I go out and cycle for five hours or cycle for 200 kilometers, for example, and I'll tell people, hey, I cycle 200 kilometers. They're like, oh, that's nice. Well done. Mm-hmm. Because they've never done it. They don't comprehend the, the level of exertion that's required to do that kind of thing. Um, so when it came to doing a challenge that raised a lot of money and particularly awareness for mental health within the hospitality industry, it had to be a running challenge. Yeah. And, and it was just kind of convenient numbers that a marathon is 42 kilometers long. Um, and last year I turned 42 years old. Uh, and my favorite book in the world is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the meaning of life, of course. <laughs> so it just kind of, it was all there. So it's like, right, marathon's 42 kilometers. I'm 42 years old. If I run one marathon to try and raise money, people will be like, oh, that's nice. Have a nice time. So it had to be something that was a bit more, uh, a bit more attention grabbing. So it just became 42. It was a nice round number. So it was 42 marathons in 42 days at 42 years old. Jesus, that's insane. <laughs> how was the how was the mental preparation for that? It was that that bit was fine, really, because you know I trained hard. I was very excited to do the challenge. I had a lot of support. So the first marathon was in New Orleans during Tales of the Cocktail. So we were definitely the first people to ever run a marathon at Tales of the Cocktail. <laughs> yeah, sure. Just laps and laps of the French Quarter. Um, but the weather, you know, the weather there was, anyone would want to run a marathon in 35 degree heat and that level of humidity. 
Um, but the number of people that turned out to run with me and support me was just incredible. Um, and it gave me real, it was really, really joy, joyous that first marathon, even though we ran the last 10 kilometers in a torrential thunderstorm. It was a real joyous, um, joyous day. What became more difficult was kind of the f- waking up in the morning and the physical toll on the body, particularly for the first five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of having to to mentally get yourself into a space to go like, right, I'm going to go out and run for five and a half hours now. Um, and the first four were, were mostly in torrential rain. So after New Orleans, I flew to New York and both of my New York marathons from start to finish were just run through thunderstorms. Blimey. So it's okay once you get out in it, but when you're kind of sitting there going like, I'll go out now for five plus hours and just run. And it's pissing it down with rain. I'm not really into that. Not good for motivation. Mm. When did you um, when did you hit the wall? When was it like you would you didn't know if you could go any further? So it was progressive. So because of the weather in the first four marathons, like running these through these crazy thunderstorms and and flash flooding, um, I injured my foot, my left foot, um, in one of those first four which meant that I had to change my running style. So my foot was extremely painful, but I figured out if I kind of changed my running style slightly and I, I turned my left foot inwards and clawed my toes, that the pain was, was manageable. Um, but what happened then was that led to um, complication. Like, so the pain kind of moved further up my leg and eventually led to a fractured chin. So the 23rd marathon, um, which was in London, um, around Victoria Park, I I got halfway, and it was like the entire the first half of it, or the only half I ran was it was kind of like someone taking an axe to my shin with every single stride. And I, got, I kind of got halfway around, did a half marathon, and was like, if if this was the last one, or if I was only running one marathon, I could get through it. You know, I could just deal with the pain and and carry on. But this is marathon number twenty-three, and I've still got nineteen to go after this, and it's not gonna—it's not gonna get any better. You know, I can't run another nineteen and a half marathons with this kind of in this kind of pain. So I just had to call it a day. Went to the hospital, ended up on crutches in a in a in a fracture boot, and that was the kind of end of it. Unfortunately, I mean, still, it's incredibly impressive you got that far. That's, you know, an incredible feat. And how much money did you raise in total? Uh, we raised over £10,000. Brilliant. Okay. Which is really good. And then some amazing things happened. So after after I had to kind of pull the plug on it, and, and it was, I was kind of a bit, I was a little bit down, you know. The emotional high of, and all of the sport that we'd had had all kind of disappeared. But then some friends kind of started to organize a, a bit of a, a bit of an event. So bars all over the world um, all kind of got involved and cumulatively ran the rest of the marathons. Brilliant. So like a bar getting that like five people from the bar would then go out and run uh, the equivalent of 42 kilometers. And we had enough bars around the world to get involved that we, we finished off the 42 marathons. So it's like bars like La Factoria, in Puerto Rico and Alcopitas, in, in, in St. Petersburg in Russia, 
and Guillotina in Sao Paulo and Pander and Sons in Edinburgh and the Savoy Hotel in London. Um, they all kind of got together. So that was an amazing, unexpected result to see how it had inspired all of these bartenders around the world to kind of lace up their running shoes and, and go for a run um, for their own their own health, which is great. Yeah, that's fantastic. It just shows how much support there really is in the industry. For yeah, sure. It's incredible. So. so we can touch on um, the next stage of what you're up to these days. And uh, it's quite a big project as well. And it's uh, Avalon Spirits. And um, this is quite exciting as well because you're really focused on sustainability. And um, can you tell us a bit about the Calvados and uh, the story behind it, where it came from? Yeah, sure. So um, used to work for for one of the big. I used to work for Diageo, um, you know, the biggest spirits brand in the world for many years. Um, uh, my business partner as well, Stephanie Jordan. We were both kind of on the same team as global ambassadors. And so when we both left Diageo um, around the same time, we were kind of muddling. You know, what we're we going to do next? I obviously had Healthy Hospo. She has her own consultancy. But we like, we'd really love to do something together. Uh, and we spent all these years working on other people's brands uh, and learning what to do and what not to do. So we thought, well, maybe we should try try building a brand. Um, and so that was the kind of the genesis of it. And then we said, oh, what kind of brand do we want to do? Um, and sustainability in the environment is both is really important to both of us. Um, so the idea came to create the world's most sustainable brand, although as we, we call it now, the world's most environmentally positive brand. Um, because we believe that modern sustainability is, has failed. You know, all of this attention on reducing the amount of harm that we do doesn't go far enough. You know, uh, we, we're sitting on the edge of an environmental um, and ecological crisis. And so companies have to go far beyond traditional sustainability of recycling and reducing water usage and all that kind of stuff and begin to have a positive impact upon the environment. So our goal was just to kind of create what we now call the world's most environmentally positive spirits brand. And we had no idea we were going to do a Calvados. And it was the research into how to create that brand. So the majority of 70% of a product's environmental impact come from the raw materials it's made from. So if you are not addressing the, the impact of your raw materials, you are only kind of playing in, playing in the minority. And once you realize that, then it leads to the question of, well, what's the most environmentally friendly uh, raw material? to make alcohol from. So we did a bunch of research into, into a variety of raw materials, such as grains for whiskey, gin, vodka, um, sugar cane, for rum and cachaça, um, agave for tequila, mezcal, and then fruits for the variety of brandies. And we measured them across four different um, environmental metrics. So we looked at CO2, uh, pesticide and fertilizer use, biodiversity, and water usage. and uh, Every every metric, apples came out on top. You know, they promote biodiversity through through the orchards and the mosaic habitats that orchards um, orchards create. Uh, CO two, obviously, apples grow on trees, um, and apple trees are carbon sinks, absorbing more CO two from the atmosphere and releasing oxygen. 
water usage. So in Normandy, it's illegal to water to irrigate the the orchards. Um, and obviously, if you juice an apple, when you press an apple, you get the juice out. So there's very little water required in processing the fruit and turning it into alcohol. Um, but apart from washing the apples, um, there's very very little water use. Uh, and then finally, pesticide and fertilizer use. So because you're so reliant on insects to to pollinate the the apple trees. And France has become one of the most progressive countries in the world when it comes to banning um, the harmful pesticides. Calvados is really good for that too. So there was kind of the research into the environmental impact of raw materials that led us to apples. And then obviously the best apple brandy in the world is made in Normandy, in France, and is Calvados. And, and that was the journey that led us to, to creating a Calvados. And then the more we learned about the, the category of Calvados, the more we realized it's the perfect category um, to not just spirits brand um, because it's it's pretty boring as a category, let's be honest. <laughs> right. There's not a lot of exciting, innovative brands going on. You know, if you go into to any good cocktail bar, most bars will have a bottle of Calvados and it will be the dustiest, um, least, least used bar or a bottle in the bar. So for us to come in, as a young brand with modern packaging, understanding how the on-trade works, modern marketing works, we could really shake up the category and we could really stand out. Um, yeah, if we'd gone into, if we'd done a gin, there's a lot of exciting gins out there with lots of beautiful packaging, lots of claims. It's a very crowded and competitive category. And Calvados is the complete opposite of that. Why do you think that is? Why? How come? Calvados never really had the, the shot in fame that sort of cognac has. So there's a number of reasons. So one of the big ones is all of the big players pulled out. So Diageo, Pernarica, Bacardi, Moet Hennessy all used to own or have a stake in Calvados producers. And all of them kind of pulled out around the early 90s. Um, so it was that period of time when lots of the big companies kind of contracted their, their offerings. So, you know, it was the same time that Diageo shut down a bunch of, um, of their distilleries in Scotland. They pulled out of a lot of the American whiskey brands. So there was a lot of kind of contraction of the industry. Um, and so lots of the Armagnac and Calvados business was sold off to independent companies. And that had a big impact because all of a sudden you haven't got the big, the big players uh, promoting the brands in the category. Is that, and then also, they are the whilst it's delicious liquid, um, and and no one questions the kind of the quality of Calvados. The branding of it hasn't changed in in a long time. If you look at the category, a lot, seventy percent of the brands use the same bottle, the Normandy bottle. You know, they're all named after an old French guy or a chateau. Um, with some calligraphy on the front and then generally have a picture of a, a castle or a distillery. You know, it's a very prescriptive um, branding across the category. Um, and there haven't been many young producers coming into the category either to really shake things up. That's slowly starting to change now. There's a couple of young people in there who are, who are doing some great stuff. Um, yeah, it just and it was just kind of once the big brands pulled out, it was just kind of left to to just die really. And then a, f a few bad business decisions by some of the big players, 
and almost a race to the bottom. It was all about low value, you know, so creating it as cheap as possible, offering it in bulk and doing the opposite of, of the premium premiumization that some of the other categories have gone through, which is, which is a shame because it's such a beautiful part of the world. It's a delicious liquid. It's extremely uh, sustainable as a product. And yeah, but it, it, there's, I'm very excited about the future of Calvados. Um, I think we will see a lot of growth, a lot of innovation and some new brands coming out um, and people really falling in love with what is essentially a delicious apple spirit. And it's very approachable for consumers. You know, it's not like a mezcal, which is quite challenging um flavor profile you know descriptor you have to describe to people what mezcal tastes like with calvados it's like what does it taste like oh apples <laughs> oh, yeah I, don't like, I get that yeah sure I, I can be down with that so it's um yeah i think we'll see a lot of um a lot of exciting things coming out of normandy over the next few years great looking forward to it and let's talk about your product can we um touch on the production side and uh sort of yeah. where you source your apples from it's about 300 different orchards if if i'm correct on that yeah so um so avalon means apple tree it's an old cornish word and so the, the cornish and the so old cornish and old breton are extremely similar um historical languages um, there are strong ties between Cornwall and Normandy, so it's a nice link between. I'm from Cornwall originally, um, a nice link to tie the two. Um, so Avalon is a two-year-old Calvados, or a blend of two to three years old, made in uh, the very west of Normandy. So we we contract still at a distillery called Cockrell um, in La Manche, which is a which is probably the only other distillery or the only distillery in Normandy that's doing anything. Kind of inter interesting and progressive in Calvados right now. Uh, so the apples come from around 300 different orchards. We're all within a 20 kilometer radius of the distillery. What's really interesting in Normandy is the way that you, the kind of the farming is is spread out. So there are a number of of big farms, you know, and big orchards who provide the bulk of the apples, but then also there are people who may have kind of a piece of land, like a front garden with you know, 15 to 20 apple trees in it. Um, and a farmer will contract with that person to, to maintain the trees and then collect the apples. Um, and so it's why there are so, so you know, like 300 different orchards that they're coming from, um, because some of them are tiny. Um, so that's about 40 different varieties of apples that are used in the production pesticide free because La Manche where we're made has been pesticide free region from since 2016. Um, so they're all delivered to the distillery and because they're different sizes, it's quite funny. So sometimes you'll have an enormous truck turn up and it will unload the apples and millions of apples will pour out of the back of the truck and you think it's never going to end. Uh, and then a little bit later, it'll be like a guy on his, with in a van, with his dog on the front seat, and he'll have like a couple of uh, a couple of boxes of apples in the back of his back of his van, and he'll just dump them as well. So it's a real community thing, which is what I really like. It's not you don't buy them from one big corporation. It's it's supporting the local community and some of the big far, big apple growers, but also some really tiny people as well. Um, and everyone gets a paid a fixed price, so the apple 
the price that we pay for the apples doesn't fluctuate with the market rates. Um, it's a fixed price across the season, which is really good for the farmers because it, well, it gives everyone consistency. So you can plan because you know exactly how much you're going to get for the apples that you have. Um, so that's a really great thing. Um, so the apples come to the distillery, they are washed, they are crushed and juiced um, and then fermented. So it's a natural fermentation. Um, so no yeast is added to the process. Uh, it's just natural yeast from the air and also from the skins of the apples. Um, so it takes somewhere between one to two months um, for the fermentation, which is an extremely long time because um, it's happening outside you know, in in um, vessels outside in the French winter, autumn and winter. So it, it takes an extremely long time, but that's what gives kind of Calvados its real beautiful flavor. Um, we then distill that in a traditional Calvados style still. So it's a, um, a hybrid still with 25 color, uh, sorry, 25 copper plates in it. And we distill it up to um, 70% ABV to really maintain those, those really kind of fruity flavors. So Calvados as an AOC is mostly distilled on column stills, whereas the Pay Doge AOC of Calvados is distilled on, on pot stills. Personally, I like the column still stuff more because it allows you to get a little bit more of the lighter volatiles and the fruitier notes when you're doing the distillation. So once we've distilled 70%, it's then put into French oak casks for between two to three years and then and then blended uh, to create Avalon. What's really unusual about Avalon is that it contains no added sugar no added caramel and no boise, which is an oak syrup, um, which is sometimes added to spirits to kind of make them taste a little bit older, perhaps, than they really are. So we're a rare Calvados, so we contain none of those. So we're a completely natural product. You know, there's no sugar, no caramel, no boise, no yeast added. It's literally just apples and water. Great. And uh, the slogans, be positive. Um, so you're really supporting the bee community, which is really something that a lot of people are doing these days. Max Curzon Price, um, who recently is going to be supporting Canada, well, representing Canada in Picard Legacy. He did a bee cocktail. And yeah, it, it seems like really people are getting behind this. Where, where was your inspiration for this? I know you said that it's because bees are pollinating apples, but was there a, a big link there, a bigger one? Yeah, so well, because we wanted to create the world's most environmentally positive spirit brand, we had to go through every, you know, look at every single aspect of everything we do, from the liquid to the packaging. So you know, we use the lightest bottle available to us. Our labels are made from from recycled apple pulp. Uh, we use we use no harmful dyes in, in the label or in the shipper. So that was all great, but we also needed to have a positive impact on something. And we wanted to to give a portion of our our profits to to some sort of uh, cause that helped champion environmental positivity. Um, and bees made a lot of sense to us because obviously the apple trees rely on bees for the pollination. Um, and also bees are a very kind of evocative subject. People understand the plight of the bee. Um, it receives a lot of media attention, um, and people are, are rightly worried about a world without bees. So for us, it was it was a it was an easy step to make. Um, so when it comes to bees, we we don't champion the honeybee. There's a lot of attention around the honeybee, 
um, because obviously it's a, it's a very important commercial product you know, for, for pollinating fruits and vegetables around the world and also providing honey. I, we champion all of the other bees. So there's around 25,000 uh, known species of bee, of which the, the, West, the Western honeybee is one. Um, so we're kind of like, we're waving the flag and championing it for the other 24,999 types of bee. Um, so things like the bumblebee, the, the minor bee, the leaf cutter bee, the mason bee, the shrill cutter bee, all of these kind of bees that are super important, but may not get the same amount of attention as the honeybee because they don't hive in their thousands. They don't produce honey. And what's really interesting, when we were down for harvest um, in October, we were talking to, to some of the farmers. They were saying they tried, a, tried an experiment where they bought some honeybee hives um, into the orchards one year. Um, to see how it would impact the the rates of pollination and apple production, and they said that the first year, so they brought the hives in for the for for spring, the bees were extreme. The honeybees were extremely efficient um, in pollinating because there were so many of them. They literally pollinated every single flower on every single tree, and that year they had the biggest crop. They had a massive bumper crop of apples. Um, and the trees were just heaving with apples. And they said, but the next season, the trees produced almost no apples at all. And that's because because the the year before that the, the trees had produced had put so much energy into producing so many apples that for the following season they just they had nothing left. So they'd overexerted themselves one year, and then the next year they were like, "We can't, do, we just don't have any energy to produce apples." So the next year they had hardly anything, and then the following, so the following year they kind of went back to normal. So the far, all the orchard farmers are like, "No honeybees, no no hives. We re- rely purely on the natural ecosystem and the, and the wild bees." Um, so you'll get around, depending on the orchard, you'll get around between fifteen to twenty different species of bee pollinating the flowers super interesting it is yeah and i think for a lot of people they probably wouldn't know about that either and i guess sometimes it's best to leave things as they are right yeah exactly i mean let's be honest, orchards are an artificial ecosystem you know there's nothing natural about creating a, a forest of, of one type of fruit but they are a highly biodiverse area so you've got the trees quite often pear trees are grown um, alongside the apples um, you've got the the hedgerows around the outside which again provided a whole different habitat um, and home for creatures and different different types of uh, flora and then you've got the grassland as well so between the apple trees you have the grasses those are not allowed to be cut um, so you've got kind of three different types of habitat all in one which gives you this beautiful natural or not, maybe not quite natural but a very diverse ecosystem all contained within the orchard, which is a home to a huge variety of different animals and plants. Brilliant. Uh, how can people get hold of the bottle? Where are you uh, sort of exporting to right now? So we're in eight markets currently. So UK, Ireland, the Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and Hong Kong. So it's available there. We are, if you're not in one of those markets, we're available through Whiskey Exchange and Master of Malt who both ship internationally 
we're hoping to sign up another couple of markets this year. Yeah, and the response has been fantastic. If you go on the website, you can, um, which is avalenspirits.com, um, you can buy through the website as well. Mm-hmm. And that'll be in the show notes for all the audience too. So links will be below. Um, yeah. it, it sounds delicious, really does. And, uh, you know, just quickly touching on Calvados again, you mentioned about, the, I mean, it's true as well, bottles just being on the back bar, settled in dust. Yeah. How can people be using Calvados more? What you know, what should we be doing in the industry more to make it more accessible? For bartenders, it's a bit of experimentation. So Calvados is a is a great brown spirit. It and it plays really well with others. It makes a great substitute for for any um, any other dark spirit, any kind of whiskey or brandy. You can substitute Calvados out. So one of my favorite drinks is a Calvados Sazerac, either with straight Calvados or I really like it with a kind of a rye split and a 60% Calvados, 40% rye. Makes a delicious Sazerac. Calvados Manhattans, absolutely, absolutely banging. You know, a good friend of mine, Jacob Bryce, once said that any cognac cocktail is improved by replacing the cognac with Calvados. Getting into that, you know, and it, it's it's a really fun category to get into. And yeah, if you want to add an apple flavor to something, getting a young Calvados. Um, can really add a kind of a little apple notes into something. Um, also drinking it with tonic. So our signature serve is with tonic. And so Avalon tonic and it's it's just yum. It's so much nicer than the gin tonic. If you personally, you get those nice sweet apple flavors. And you get the kind of slight bitterness from the tonic. Beautifully refreshing in summer. Um, so that's a great way to drink it as well. Brilliant. Tim, thank you so much for coming on today on the show. Um, it, it's really great to hear about what you're doing. And thank you for your, your input into the industry um, in terms of helping with healthy hospital and mental health. And I, I think you've been such a key key figure in this. So, yeah, thanks, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. Right. It's, a, it's a pleasure. It, it helps me get up every morning. But, yeah, once again, Tim, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to trying Avenue Spirits very soon. Awesome. Ah, hopefully, Hopefully you'll like it. Brilliant. Thanks, Tim. Been a real pleasure. All right. Talk soon. Bye. All right, guys. So that was Tim. I hope you enjoyed the show. He's a really great guy. And if you want to support him, uh, you can either go over to Healthy Hospo, uh, try out his new Calvados, which sounds fantastic, or you can join us on Patreon, join our community, be part of the talk. And uh, with the third tier, you will also be donating a small portion to Healthy Hospo. Now, next week, we have Megs Miller, a really fantastic girl who's done a lot in the industry from her help and support into Hona Society with Altos Tequila and about her new bar in London, which will be really quite cool. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Looking forward to talking to you next week and I hope you all have a good one. Ciao.